0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and today I want to discuss an aspect of how language works and how language changes that you really don't hear about very much And yet, it's absolutely central to understanding this thing that we do, which is talking. I want to use, at the start here, a certain analogy. Let's listen to what I truly consider one of the best three minutes of recorded sound ever. Here goes I Love the Nightlife. If you remember how this marvelous song ends, if you remember something other than the very deft key change near the end, you remember that it didn't actually end. It just faded out like this. If you think about it, Fade-outs are now a thing of the past. It's like synthesizers in pop music. We think of it as something fondly cute about pop music, especially in the 70s. But you might ask, what happened to the fade-out? You might ask, why did it only become so popular in the 70s? Recording technology would have allowed it as early as the 20s, as far as I know, And yet somehow it became a big deal then. Now, of course, we know why it was attractive. The fade out was neat because it implied that the song was this little party that never stops. The camera just pulls away. There was a cinematic feel to it. But after a while, it just stopped. Why? Why then did it start? And then why don't we use it as much now? And if you think about it, there is no answer. Sometimes things are just a matter of chance. Something came. And there's no real reason why. And then it stopped because it just went out of fashion, whereas other things don't go out of fashion. Sometimes there just is no explanation for certain things. And it can feel almost unscientific to say that, but it's actually true. It is part of how any system morphs through time. And so, for example... We do know why anteaters have such long, sticky tongues. It's because that's how they catch ants. But why does the bread fall on the jelly side sometimes and not others? Why did it fall on the jelly side just now? There is no explanation for that. It's just chance. What is he talking about? What I'm talking about is that chance also plays a large role in how language changes Over time. And it's interesting, there's a new study that came out in Nature that talks about how this works with past tense verbs. And so there are two kinds. There's the regular kind, like walk, walked. Then there are the irregular ones, and there's a whole big bunch of them, like think and thought and see and saw. Over time, one thing that has happened in English is that the irregular ones have become regular. That's fine. But this paper notes, and this is something that linguists have long known, that some irregular ones are always popping up new. And so, for example, sneaked was once preferred. Snuck has overtaken it. If you went back 100 years, people would be more likely to say sneaked. Today, snuck is more likely. Dived was what somebody would have said 100 years ago, most likely. Today, we prefer dove. That's just how it goes. And so, This study in Nature is addressing the fact that you couldn't say why that is. So, for example, sneak and snuck. It's not as if it's by some sort of modeling from peak and puck or you leak and then yesterday you luck or something like that. These things just happen as a matter of chance. Or, for example, if I may, shit. Now, if it were regular, shitted. Notice that that doesn't really feel like a word. But then, what really is it, chat? These things are difficult, but it's not chitted. These things are just a matter of chance. Now, Joshua Plotkin, who is an evolutionary biologist, says in this piece, for the most part, linguists today have a strict Darwinian outlook. When they see a change, they think there must be a directional force behind it. But I propose that language change, maybe lots of it, is driven by random chance, by drift. Well, actually, linguists are not unaware of that. Linguists tend not to talk about it because it's considered less interesting than identifying systematicity. But note, randomness is part of language change and why I want to share it with you. I swear that I was already planning this episode when I read the nature piece. The nature piece just gave me a, a handy hook for this. I wanted to talk about it because I would say that about one out of three missives that I get. From this show and just in general about language change are ones where I feel like I have to disappoint the person by giving an answer, which is basically just that, (laughs) frankly, shit happens. So often the answer is it was just chance. I know that you want a tidy explanation for it and the tidy explanations are fun, but there's an extent to which language change really is just a matter of flutter. Let's zero in on that today. What, what do I mean by the fact that everything can't be explained and that you just have to watch it going by and just think of it as neat, although not making any sense? Here's an example. Awesome, awful. Those are two words. Now, what does awesome mean? Well, we must use, I don't know why I thought Chris Farley was so funny, to, the thought of him. That's me giggling here is a clip that most of us will recall unless we are i suppose under 20 and this is his film reviewer character you remember in uh, something wild when uh, melanie griffith had you handcuffed to the bed remember that yeah. and you, you had to make that phone call remember yeah. and you were chained to the thing and you couldn't get away yeah yeah i remember yeah <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> so that's the meaning of awesome. Something's awesome. Okay. Awful. We all know what awful means. But then the Shakespeare issue, to go back to something that I have discussed in this podcast, suppose you are engaging, for example, Henry the Sixth, part two. And at one point, somebody says this. That crown doth not become thy head. Thy hand was made to grasp a palmer's staff and not to grace an awful princely scepter. It's one of these things that doesn't make sense when you're hearing it in real time. You just have to let it go by and these things pile up on each other. Perfect example. Shakespeare is using English, but the words so often don't mean what we expect. So, thy hand is made to grasp a palmer's staff, a mere palmer's staff, and not to grace an awful princely scepter. But wait a minute. If his hand is made to grasp some damned stick or something, then why is the princely scepter also being called awful? If you listen to the person who I have actually declaiming this in 1954, they kind of slip by the awful because you can tell that even this person knows that that word doesn't quite make sense and wants to kind of swallow it. Well, the reason is that in Shakespeare's time, awful meant what awesome does. And it was the same thing. Even in modern English, there are echoes of this. And so, for example, not long ago, my older daughter, actually, the first thing she has said that was genuinely clever was I said, oh, that candy looks awful. And she said, yeah, awfully good. That was very clever. And that is how awful can still mean awesome. Awfully good, really, if everything were tidy, would be awesomely good. Some of you are waiting for an anecdote. It gets around that Charles II once praised the St. Paul's Cathedral as being awful, pompous, and artificial. He meant those words in praise. They've all changed. And I would use that, but actually, apparently, he only said artificial. And that word was positive in his day. Nevertheless, you get the point. And so the question might be, why? My younger daughter right now is really into why. She intones it in a cute way. Why? Okay. Well, why did awful come to mean awful? You know, there is no reason. It's not something that has to do with what some in awesome and full in awful mean. Because after all, some can be quite negative, as in gruesome, and loathsome, and then full can be quite wonderful, as in wonderful, as in healthful, etc. So it's not those. It really was just a matter of flutter. Awful happened to specialize into a negative meaning, as words do, but we couldn't explain why it wasn't awesome that did the same thing. Imagine gruesome, loathsome, awesome. It could be, but that's just not how the cookie crumbled same thing with something like entrance and entry. Think about what it is to actually speak a language natively. What a wonderful thing it is. We know that there's a word entrance. We know that there's a word entry. And entrance is more concrete. You think about a doorway and bumping your head on top of it or something. And then entry is more abstract. But There's no reason why in an alternate universe you wouldn't see over a door entry instead of entrance. That's just the way the ball bounces. And notice you gain entree into something and you also know what an entree is. To speak English is to control all of that subtlety. But more to the point, why is entrance used to mean specifically what it is and entry is used to mean specifically what it is? There is no reason. That just happened. There are reasons for many things in language. But when it comes to a lot of things like that, really, it's just a gorgeous kind of flutter. You can't explain it any more than you can explain why today the fade-out isn't popular. It just kind of is. Here is another example. Let's play some music from before the era of the fade-out. We are in 1920. And this is the Paul Whiteman band playing what people actually were under the impression was jazz back in 1920. This was a huge hit. Here it goes. It's called Whispering. Oh, you don't care about that music anyway. I'm trying to get you in the mood for 1920. So, well, what were people reading in 1920? Well, one of the things they were reading was short stories by Scott Fitzgerald. And one of them in 1920 was May Day. I'm going to give you a quick clip from May Day. Beautiful morning, he said gravely, squinting up his owlish eyes. Probably is. Go will get some breakfast, hey. Dean agreed with additions. Breakfast and liquor. So that's just an ordinary passage, typical of his short stories at that time. But notice, they'll get some breakfast, hey. No, no, this isn't the Lucy, hey. This is not that, you know, I'm talking to you from Hoboken, hey. That's different. And I promise you this is the last time I'm ever going to mention hey in this podcast, probably. But this is a different hey. So go get some breakfast, hey. Fitzgerald is full of that hey. And it's not just him. I um, just got through, you know, the superlative is interesting both, in the positive and the negative. And I think I just read the worst novel that I will ever experience. And of course, it was long and I read every damn page of it. Look Homeward Angel by Thomas Wolfe. In his day, he was considered the third with Fitzgerald and Hemingway and are people who swear by that book to this day. And I started to feel left out. And so I slogged through this thing Oh, what a plop of a book that is today. There's so much wrong with it, we could do a whole podcast about it. Of course, I was also looking to language, and at one point the Gantt character, what a mess of a character that was, says, Ha ha, she looks like an adventurous, hey. Again, that hey. Quite simply, that hey today would be huh. You also see it in um Saul Bellow. So for example, in Humboldt's gift, Humboldt does that hey for huh. Today it would be, go get some breakfast, huh? Or she looks like an adventuress, huh? Or all of these haze that you see. Based on literature, I sense that that usage of hay went out in America, at least in the 1960s, and was replaced by huh. And of course, the question would be, why? And you know, there's no more reason why than that a hurricane started up one week rather than another one it's just flutter it's just randomness so we can know that our huh was often hey before but we can't know why huh came in over hey fashion start we assume it would start with one person probably and it gets picked up whereas something else that person did didn't get picked up and now here we are it's one of those things now sometimes you can venture what may possibly be a reason for something. But even then, the truth ends up getting in the way. And so, for example, have you ever thought about this? Tuna, tuna fish. Tuna fish is what we call it when it's kind of ruined in a can. Tuna is that tragically endangered, marvelous fish with the red meat, and you might eat a slice of it, especially over the past, say, 30 years in America. Why is it that when it comes out of a can, we call it tuna fish? Why would we ever say tuna fish? We're not under the impression that it would otherwise maybe refer to the tuna vacuum cleaner or the tuna despair or the tuna wood tuna fish. What else is tuna? And yet we call it that. It's not salmon fish when it comes disgustingly from a can. It's just salmon for some reason tuna fish. Now, if I had to guess... Knowing that tuna in a can only became popular in the United States around the turn of the 20th century, I would think that maybe it's because tuna is a rather odd word in terms of sound structure in English, such that people back then maybe subconsciously felt like they had to specify that this thing called tuna was a fish. That's my guess. But the problem is that from what I've heard, Brits don't call it tuna fish. Brits just call it tuna, and that frankly makes more sense because why do you need to specify that it's tuna fish? It's just probably one of those things. Um, Thank you, Terry Kelleher, for getting me on this tuna fish thing, which led precisely nowhere because it's one of these random things. Or get this one. This, folks, is absolutely exquisite. This is, I want you to run around listening for this as soon as you finish listening to this podcast because the consistency of it is, of course, not absolute, but still, it's close to amazing. And that is this. Increasingly, these days, men say uh, women say um. Goodness gracious, you'd never know because we don't think of um and uh, these pause words, As words at all, it's their grunts, their gestures. But men are much more likely to say, uh, women are much more likely to say, um, and it's been shown again and again. Here is a random example. This is from, you know, very typical NPR style interview. First, listen to not one, but two women. If you're an Eminem who grew up in a certain environment, do you have more entitlement to that culture regardless of being white. We're going to have a problem here. Y'all act like you've never seen a white person before. Jaws all on the floor like pants. someone someone um, who grew up in an upper middle class environment or like myself, who grew up over, uh, overseas, um has to that same, you know, quote unquote culture, because it's also really entwined with class. Yeah, so I actually want to get into some of the language stuff that you brought up, Brianna. Um, and I want to specifically talk about Latino rappers and the N-word. And now, same interview... Listen to the guy. DJ Vlad, who has his own like YouTube channel called uh, DJ Vlad TV. Isn't that amazing? Now, of course, they weren't thinking about that. And when I listened to the interview at first, that was the last thing on my mind. In fact, I was part of it. And at the time, I was thinking about the content. Now, of course, the question is, my little one would ask, why? Okay, why? Well, because, uh, see? (laughs) See how we just ran off of a cliff? What in the world would the reason be? Um and uh. Guys like uh, women like um, some people say tomato, some people, mostly dead, say tomato, and that's just the way the cookie crumbled. There is structured randomness in this thing called language. A lot of languages have tones, and you know what? I am now taking one-on-one Mandarin lessons because I decided that I wanted to actually be able to do this. And, you know, when I went in and took the first test, they didn't put it in so many words, but they said, well, you know, lots of grammar, but your tones suck. So we're starting you at the beginning. That's not how she put it, but that is what she meant. But I'm getting good enough that I'm going to do the tones myself because I know I won't sound Completely like a chimpanzee. Maybe I've gotten to a bonobo stage. But Mandarin Chinese, you've got four tones. So take the syllable ma. So, for example, ma, that is mother. Ma, sounds like you're kind of bouncing a little bit. Ma, that's a horse. Like you're bouncing on the horse. like Ma, like that. Ma, that means scold. Then, ma. Now, I'm supposed to say that ma. Means hemp. That's the example it's always used. I don't think I know what hemp is. And really, I would rather say that ma, it means toad. There's a, a handy word. And really, more frequently, I like to think of it as meaning numb, as in N U M B. So, ma, that's numb. So, ma is your mother. Ma is a horse. Ma is numb. Ma is scold. And just ma is something that you stick at the end to make a question. Now, why? How in the world did that happen? Why does that happen in some languages? Now, there are some interesting ideas that propose that there actually is some sort of causal or determinative factor. So, for example, if you have a sense of all the languages of the world, it's hard not to notice that most of the languages that have tone that we would find at all interesting are spoken in places where it's hot. But why would that be the cause? Like, boy, (laughs) sweating. It's hot here. Let's start singing. Our That doesn't really make any sense. But it's also been shown that tone seems to be concentrated where it's humid. You don't get that kind of tone very often in dry climates. And it's been argued that tone is in humid places so often that it couldn't be accidental. And you know what? I've never thought about it very hard. That doesn't smell good to me, but it's a worthwhile idea. But still, the people who put together that idea note that it still isn't predictive. There are just as many places that are humid that don't have tone as do. So the question becomes, why does that language have tone and not the other one? And it ends up being another one of these unanswerable questions, because this is how tone happens. Imagine if i say pay and bay pay beginning with p bay beginning with b now you notice how p and b even though they're at different points in the alphabet are really variations on the same sound p b b is kind of p with some belly in it p b same thing as it happens when you pronounce p there's a tendency for the vowel after it to be pronounced on a slightly higher pitch than if you say buh, so it's not like pay and bay, but statistically something like pay versus bay, like that. It's something that we would never think about. But what you need to do to go puh means that what's going to come afterwards is going to probably be a little higher than what's going to come after you going buh. Now, as we go through our lives, where we've got a difference between puh and buh. And therefore, pay and bay are starkly different words. The last thing we're thinking about is that there's a difference also between pay and bay, pay and bay. But imagine if in the language, just by chance, but this is the kind of thing that happens all the time because sounds are always changing. The b turned into a put. So we started saying pay and then pay. So there's no more buh. So, it used to be that you could say pay, and that was very different from bay. But now there's no more B in the language because they've all turned into P's. And you'd think, well, wouldn't that be confusing? No, because if there had been that difference in the pitch between pay and bay, well, it could be that what you wind up with when the B's turn into P's is pay and pay. You might still keep pronouncing the bay word on that lower pitch, pay and pay. But that would mean that now you're a tonal language because then that tone is all there is to make the difference between getting your money with pay and floating out in the middle of something as in bay and that folks is how you get pay pay a tonal language where is that going to happen and why well there's just no answer you never know how sounds are going to change you just shake up the language and let it fall down the steps that's not a very good analogy, but let's, let's just stick with it. It's like if you took a silverware drawer and just shook it all up and threw all those forks and knives and spoons down the steps, and then they'd all just land. If you did that once a day, you'd get a different pattern down at the bottom of the steps every day. And, you know, as ridiculous as this is, that really is an appropriate analogy. That is what language change is like. So you can't always know why. Language is something that you can spectate if that's a word, because partly you never know. It's like that barbarity known as the football game. You don't know how it's going to come out. You know what? Once, well, actually a lot more than once, once I was in a bar and there was somebody else in the bar. He was Norwegian. And we got to talking about musicals. Long story, but that did happen. And he told me that he had been in a production of the justly forgotten musical Call Me Madam in Norway. Apparently, they did Call Me Madam of 1950 in Norway. Don't worry, I'm not going to play one of the songs. And he said that because Norwegian is tonal, actually more like pitch accent, but never mind, Norwegian is tonal, he said that when the songs were done in Norwegian to accommodate the tones, they had to change the melodies. He said that that was stupid I wondered for years whether that was true and I've talked to Norwegians about musical sense and that is not the case and we know it isn't the case because for example as I'm sure we all listen to all the time here is do you hear the people sing in Mandarin and it has four tones and yet the melody is unchanged here we go <laughs> that norwegian was just stupid (laughs) anyway there are things that you really just can't explain make no mistake i love it when there are explanations for things i love it when somebody asks me something where i can say well don't you know for example why is some s-o-m-e not spelled s-u-m here is a grand old tune by Victor Herbert from Babes in Toyland. Put down six and carry two. Gee, but this is hard to do. You can think and think and think till your brains are numb. I don't care what teacher says. I can't why isn't it spelled S-U-M? And, you know, the reason is because U and M in early English writing looked so much alike that it was decided by some bozo that you had to make the U look like an O to keep things clearer. That's why we spell it SOM. That's neat, isn't it? Or why is it feet? Why don't we just say foots? Why is it feet? There used to be many plural endings in English, and one of them was E. At one point, the word for foot was "foot," and the plural was photi. Now, the E was something that you were thinking about while you were saying the O, and it started changing the O. So foti became feti, and then the E dropped off and it became fate, and then fate became feet. That's how you get foot, feet. These are the things where you know what the mechanism was. There was causality. It's a flow chart. We know why. But often, really... As Mr. Porter tells us, It was just one of those things Just one of those crazy flames one You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe, or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. The show was edited, as always, by Mike Volo. And I, for now at least, am John McWhorter. And here we go with Ella Fitzgerald. Why don't we just fade it out? Why? Just one of those things If we thought a bit of the end In The Good Fight, Yasha Monk speaks to academics, journalists, and politicians searching for the ideas, policies, and strategies that can beat authoritarian populism. You'll find a new episode every second Wednesday. Recent guests include Anne Applebaum, Matthew Dancona, Nick Casey, E.J. Dion, Rachel Kleinfeld, and Perry Bacon Jr. Many of us have been quite concerned about this thing called authoritarian populism and the way it seems to sometimes be creeping into our lives like water under a door during a flood, feel smarter, empower yourself with crisp, focused interviews about exactly this problem and what you can do to help fix it.